Well, I might release. I might do sort of like personalised voice messages for like a flat fee. You know, like twenty pounds to say, yeah, take your trousers off, <laughs> Brad. I mean, it, it, <laughs> could be a lucrative market. I don't know if anyone gets ASMR yeah. from listening to us. Probably not, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but maybe we should investigate. How's the sound, JJ? Probably brilliant. Just, yeah, despite being know, <laughs> incredibly worrying. If that's not the beginning of your podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> it's gold. Uh, yeah, you're all good. Thanks, JJ. Much appreciated. See you soon. Yeah, see you a bit, man. Cheers. Cheers. Cool. Well, hopefully Andy cuts that out. Welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. I'm Sammy Roberts. I'm the editor of PC Gamer and I'm joined by Phil Savage. We're going to talk about games. Uh, Andy Kelly isn't here today. He's gone to York. Well, actually, he hasn't gone he hasn't. yet. He's upstairs. He's upstairs writing his Dirt 4 review, which will be on the site by the time you uh, are listening to this, pcgamer.com. And uh, yes, so me and Phil are holding the fort. We're going to talk about a bunch of games, including Dirt, which Phil has also played. Mm. And I'm going to talk a bit about Prey, which I've finished this week after playing about 26 hours in the space of five days which is ridiculous Jeez. yeah i really got into it and uh but i am glad it's over i'll talk a bit about that mm. and uh there is also anachronox the old iron storm game which phil has been playing the sort of uh jrpg ish kind of inspired yeah, thing it's got a jrpg combat system um we'll get into the details yes a bit later um because that is kind of like an old pc cult classic so phil wanted to have a go on that he's now nearly finished it right or i have completed it, it. As of last night. Yes, 25 hours in, you've you've done it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 25 hours it took you? So yeah, we've got that, and then we've got a bunch of questions, and then we will um, stop talking, which is what we do on this podcast. So thank you very much for listening. Um, to jump in then, Phil, Dirt 4. I mean, I might zone out during this because I don't really care about car games, but I know lots nice. of people do. Um, <laughs> so, so this is for them. Yes. So um, Codemasters uh, have kind of been quietly making these pretty, pretty solid, pretty great, yeah, racing games for years I, now. I feel like Codemasters was a much bigger deal, um, probably around the time of Dirt Two specifically. Mm. It, just, it seemed to be like a much more kind of hyped prospect that you know a new Dirt game is coming out. They've got Ken Block and he's doing wheelies around a big dirt track. Um, I'm sure he is a deeply relevant man, <laughs> <laughs> Ken Block. Yes, remember when all games used to have like a kind of extreme 90s man attached to them <laughs> like dave mirror or oh yeah and uh who was the other one um tony hawk was obviously the oh yeah one. tony hawk yeah of course yeah sean palmer's pro yes. snowboarding yes <laughs> who is that guy who is sean I palmer don't, i don't know anyway. i'm not cool enough to know these things okay so dirt 2 yeah i remember that being quite a big deal yeah 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 um and then um i, th- I think the sort of dirt series as old probably died out with dirt showdown which was like an attempt to remove a lot of the rally stuff and take all the kind of Jim Carner excesses and arcade like race events uh, and put them at the forefront, and it was kind of a bit shit. Um, partially, I'm not not entirely just because of its theme, just because it was a bit. It, it felt very stale after Dirt Two and Three. Right. Um, then Cody sort of came back with Dirt Rally, which was like a very mo- a more focused, small scale type thing. But I think it really captured like the the 
more simulation driven end of that audience the people who want like the cars to feel realistic and yeah. and be quite you know difficult and challenging to get around these courses and dirt four definitely he probably leans more that way it's kind of weird it's got when you start it's got two options for handling models and they are simulation and gamer oh ugh. i know I, <laughs> <laughs> being okay. called gamer did make me kind of like, I mean, we do work on PC gamers. So yeah, I know. I know. There's something about being called it directly by a gamer. Yeah. You know, there's. I think. I think within a phrase like PC gamer, it just becomes we're we're a brand now, Sam. We're, been, we're not even a term. It's but, been around for so long that I don't even. Yeah, I don't even think about the composition of those. But words, actually, so. being offered the choice, simulation or gamer. Yeah. Um, it, I'm not helped by the fact that I found the gamer handling quite, uh, quite floaty and unnatural. Um, I assumed it would be more like... I assumed the division would be like... Gamer would be more like Dirt 2 and 3, which were... I found this really nice balance between um, realism and um, kind of fun, game-ish type, like, you know, forgiving. um, You know, just just being quite, yeah, forgiving and easier to handle. Um, sort of like the Forza Horizon series, probably that is probably the closest to have, for having that perfect balance of, mm. you know, it feels realistic and you can certainly tell the difference between each of the cars. Like, it's not pointless having a new car, it's not just a reskin of something. But also, it doesn't care about physics to the point that it's going to punish you for doing stupid shit. Okay, cool. Um, and I, I don't think Dirt 4 really has that with its, um, like, more obviously arcadey handling model. Um, I wasn't helped at the point of trialling it by the fact that my Xbox controller's battery was running out and so all the rumble had gone and it was kind of stark. It, it really highlighted how much like good force feedback can add to a racing game. Right, yeah, yeah. Because neither handling model really felt good to me at the time, but um, I eventually settled for the simulation, which with a few assists on really does feel like those old dirt games and actually is quite good. Mm. Um, that's like, how I've been playing it. Um, I've not tried it with all the assists off in the way that you know Dirt Rally would aim for that kind of that definite realism um, because that's not really my thing. Mm. Um, this is part of the problem. I think Dirt perhaps specifically has a problem in the some of its audience definitely want that hardcore rallying sim experience and they want it to feel difficult and they want the cars to feel like actual cars. Mm. Um, and some of them just want a fun game right. and I think I'm close to the latter category where Dirt Rally while I appreciate it on a technical level and I kind of see what they're doing uh, it's quite clever does feel a bit intense for my liking it's okay. like it's stressful to play a lot of the time um, Dirt Falls in a weird mid-ground I find um, I've played like a handful of races for a few hours and so far it's quite simple like mm. quite easy in terms of i've never had a problem winning races just with like the default cars that you get um i've never like been prompted to tune them up to specific things like dirt red had a really clever system where um you could download people's tuning settings from the workshop right which was a really nice way of me a complete dunce when it comes to cars being able to have a setup that felt like it was advantageous right um i don't think as far as I've seen, Dirt 4 doesn't really have that. Um, although, I could be wrong, I should probably check. Um, but I've, certainly, I've never felt like I needed it. Because uh, certainly the first 
probably handful of championships, it's just never been a problem. Like as long as you're vaguely competent around a track, you you're fine. Right. Okay. Um, uh, Andy seems to enjoy it more than I have been, and I think that's because it starts off quite poorly. I think. Um, like my first hour with it, I was like, "Oh God, have they really fucked this up?" Hmm. Um, and it doesn't help that it starts with this like really incredibly patronising um, tutorial thing uh, that I've never seen done in a rally game. And it's probably fine if you are literally coming to the genre clean. Like it just straight up outlines like this is what the calls mean and that sort of thing. Right. When it says like left six, this is exactly what it means and that. But like if you've played a dirt game before it just feels kind of like laborious and can i just skip this because i know it all yeah um so that didn't help also doesn't help that it's got one of those fun slick um no opening menu things where it goes straight from like a cutscene into the tutorial into the first championship into a bunch of things and you're like at some point you need to let me stop and go to a menu and change the resolution settings which you have got wrong uh, so I'm seeing all this in the worst possible resolution for my monitor because you haven't checked that for some reason mm. or let me change it. Um, and all of that is just its just a bad user experience on the PC. So that didn't help. And then uh, you start in uh, Michigan and uh, you're doing championships around there and you are in Michigan for hours just doing like different stages these procedurally generated stages in the same environment what is what is michigan what does that look like in the game <laughs> it's just some, it's just brown and trees so why do they call it michigan and not just like berkshire or whatever i don't know to make it more exotic? I, mean, I, 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 I assume like there's some farms and stuff i guess the architecture is kind of relevant oh there's there's buildings and stuff Yeah, they, you, you go past buildings it's got okay. scenery it's not like it's a just just like woodlands or something yeah, that's what i thought because it could largely be anywhere anyway yeah that was my question on michigan but um yeah you were seeing that those brown and trees for a long ass time and it's like oh, i kind of want a bit of variety where's the snow tracks and where's the you know where's the thick mud and it has that stuff it's just for some reason you were just locked into michigan for so very long mm. uh, i'm only like i say, I've played probably two or three hours now and i'm only just getting to the point where i'm actually open you know allowed around the world a bit Every now and then I have to be reminded that you and Andy both like uh, racing games because because uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sometimes surprised by it because like um, I don't know you don't play like a Seto Corsa for example no like uh, this thing I'm not really into simulation games um, I think uh, console example but Gran Turismo is probably as close to simulation as I ever go mm. and yeah that was you know quite realistic for its time it seemed like but it's not like full. The PC simulation scene is like next level stuff. It is things like Seto Corsa and yeah. like uh, just proper. If you don't have like a full pedals and a racing wheel, you might as well just not apply. What was the Formula One game that um, Craig what's his face played the um, with uh, an actual racing man? Was it with Rubens Barrichello? Okay. Yes, that was. I can't remember what that was. I remember but that, that was a very good now playing. We'll, we'll look that up and put it in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a, is there a show notes? I mean, like the description. We can. They, I mean, we can do show notes. It's just I always forget. I, I realise I just said show notes because I've been listening to a podcast where they keep saying we'll put it in the show notes, and uh, and yeah, I realise we don't have that. We I, don't have. We don't yeah. really have that. 
Was that Crate and Crowbar? They were always talking about their show notes. No, it was uh, Shall We Play a Game, which is a very good, very good podcast by two people who I think are actual journalists, as oh. opposed to whatever it is that I do. <laughs> <laughs> whatever bullshit our job is. <laughs> hey, no, our job is very important. It's just that they write for like New York Times and things like that. Okay, you know? right, I see. And uh, you know, by important, I mean you know, not firefighter important, but like entertainment. People are entertained by it anyway. <laughs> we're getting close to your Alan Partridge moment of, of this episode. I think it's all been Partridge so far for forty-five episodes. Um, okay, so all right then. So, anything more to add on Dirt? Uh, no, not really. Like, I, I need to explore a bit more because now it's opening up. I've got like new terrain types and new types of event. There's like the Land Rush where you go around with other cars and stuff. And, yeah, yeah. Um, all of that, and I need to play it. So, uh, what you should really do is go to the website and read Andy's thoughts. I think Andy is more into sort of the simulation end, not full simulation, but he liked Dirt Rally a lot more than I did because right. I think he had the patience to deal with it. He sounds like he's not in totally enamoured by it, though. He, I, I think he had the same thing as I did, and um, it's been interesting talking to him over the last few days, and, like, I don't know what score he's planning to give it, but, like, his sort of provisional score has been gradually rising, like, okay. as I've talked to him. I came back over the weekend, and he asked my thoughts, and I said, I've not been having, you know, I've been having some problems with it and he was like yeah i was like that but i really enjoyed what i played over the weekend and I, so i think it does eventually get to a point where it's you know a worthy successor right part of this series okay cool well i'm i'm, I'm glad to hear that so uh yeah for i mean there's not many games around like this now is there so it's good yeah that that's someone's it. Um, making them even if they're not quite mm. what you hoped they would be yeah I mean, it's, it's good to see games hit that nice middle ground where it's not like full kart racer bullshit but it's also not very serious dad's planning a racing weekend within the game yeah okay yeah that makes sense um okay that's around that's out this friday as we're recording this mm. so probably out now by the time you're listening to this yeah um that is dirt four okay then so moving on to a game i can actually pass comment on as opposed to sitting there blankly like i was <laughs> in that last segment while you talked very authoritatively about uh that game phil um Prey. I'm going to talk a bit about this because we cool. have discussed yeah. this on past episodes. But I imagine for our listeners now, they've probably finished it or are near to finishing it. So we'd have um, probably want to talk a bit deeper into the game. So I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's not something we were ever able to like fully discuss because Andy just straight up bounced off it. Uh-huh. I've seen a few people saying that about Prey. I think it's because it's quite a cold world and with cold characters, and you basically need to be comfortable with the the fact that you're just there to play with the systems and explore and mm. unravel this. I, I, I really think they've modelled Talos 1's kind of like infrastructure in terms of like the people at like a video game development studio. Like that mixture of kind of hubris and, mm. you know what I mean, and That's ambition and sort of like an occasional sort of failures, well, frequent failures. Mm. Um, and like the, there's a lot of clashing egos and I think that you probably you probably quite a lot of that in games development. So I, I reckon they probably drew on that for some inspiration, um, because they are basically just a few hundred people on a ship or whatever. And when it yeah, goes yeah. wrong, that's it. Um, but anyway, yes, um, I've uh, it's for, it's the sci-fi game from Arcane, uh, set on a spaceship. Aliens invade, and then you basically start with some guns to try and sort them out, and then you later get some alien powers if you want to. If you want to. Um, I really liked it for a while, but I think um, there's not enough spaces on the ship for you, for the amount of game they've spread across it. Like, okay. um, so there's about maybe six or seven like major areas of the ship, and they all look pretty nice. It's, there's a really nice sense of place to it in that like you can go outside the spaceship and then see all of it, mm. and it geographically feels like a real representation of that space. Like it, 
I've never really experienced anything like that because because there's not that much of it. It actually feels like a very complete location. Yeah, it's rare, I guess, that you get to fully see the game world from the outside of it. Yeah, like you don't see that in Bioshock, for example. No. Um, I suppose you sort of see it in Infinite, but not really because you kind of get thrown around a little bit. Mm. Um, so yeah, like uh, that is that is a cool thing to see. But there are way there are too many side quests in it, I think, and um, it means you end up backtracking uh, too much, in my opinion. It means you just get too used to the same places. If I never have to go back to the Neuromod division at the start of the game, yeah, I'd that, be delighted. That's always a slightly annoying one because it is just such a dead end of a place. Like mm. it is a case of okay, well, that means I've got to go through this linking area and this linking area, and then I end up here where it's just yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think a major weakness of this game versus other immersive sims as well. Is mm. that its story is not good, and like you could you could argue that um, you know a bunch of uh, immersive sims have fairly rough stories, but um, you've also got like the likes of Dishonored, where I think the premise is very strong yes. and enough to kind of pull you through the world in both games. Um, and then likewise, I'd say that about uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution, and there's probably a, probably the original Deus Ex, even if this, the voice acting was pretty bad and it was a real grab bag of stuff. Yeah, that that one's an interesting one because like. It's not just one mystery. It is all the mysteries being thrown together into this just uber conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, which is silly, but sort of entertaining. Yeah. This is basically an alien outbreak, and you have to unravel what your brother and you's kind of your kind of like relationship with the disaster is. Yeah. And that's basically the story, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it sets up a really intriguing mystery early on. Um, Right, yeah. And it's like a very weird um, Twilight Zone that does, like, it has a couple of twists just within it, or a couple of things that feel off kilter, um, even outside of like the big twist of the opening. Um, and then it kind of uh, treads water for the majority of the game, where you're just sort of dealing with the immediate threat. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, there are little hints here and there just within emails and stuff, but then it doesn't really return to that mystery till towards the end right um so yeah, yeah no it does like it, i think it is a really strong motivation early on but it's kind of hard to feel that it's relevant a lot of you know when you're just in in the meat of the action you know when you're like 10 hours in and just trudging through the arbitrarium again yeah yeah like the, the yeah you see the, the arboretum is probably the nicest the area of the game in terms of like it's a big green open space hmm. and it's got a big old glass kind of like overlook of space, which is it's probably the most spectacular of the environments with this quite interesting tree house that your brother kind of uses as his office. That's kind of neat. And uh, and a greenhouse that has a giant telepathic alien in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obvs. Obvs. Um, so, yeah, that's that's cool. But, yeah, I, I must have walked through that place about 13 times. Yeah. And, wow. God damn it, by the end I was like, I'm so sick of jumping through that waterfall where there's that shortcut to the, oh, yeah. to the door. I've done that so many times now. And like, it's not um, only that, it's like almost every time you return, it's refilled with uh, mimics and stuff. And it's like, yeah. oh, God, I've got to fight more of you spider jerks. But there's no more loot. So you're mm. essentially just running down the supplies you have by by running into these enemies again. Um, but the um, the powers they give you are cool. Like um, the base set of guns are okay. Like uh, the shotgun and the pistol aren't amazing in it. Yeah, I thought use. the shotgun was pretty guff. Um, the pistol becomes a lot more useful once you've given a few mods to it or whatever. Especially if you've got some of the stealth neuro mods right. uh, that increase 
critical percentage chance yeah. on a stealth hit or whatever. It just becomes really powerful at that point. That's cool. And then there's um, a couple of other loadout options. Like you can change the a thing in your helmet basically to give you these little buffs and stuff. They're mm-hmm. a bit like the clothes in Bioshock Infinite or the what were they called in Bioshock, the original one? The oh those um, things, you know. Yes. Those little buffs you get. Were they were they clothes in that one as well? Yes. I haven't played Bioshock for years. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm yeah. Collecting them, I can't remember what form they took. No, me neither. But anyway, yeah, like the you know how yeah. you buy you buy some like good electric trousers in mm. Bioshock Infinite or whatever. Um, so there's there's plenty of options to play, and like the alien powers are genuinely interesting as well, like uh, mind control powers, and then like um, the my favorite, which is the kinetic blast, which is basically just you know a little explosion you pull out of nowhere yeah, that can knock enemies down. Just physics yeah but it's a weapon yeah yeah and that it's 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 really cool and then obviously the mimic stuff which i actually found of limited use to be honest and you know Mm, everywhere where you can use a mimic power there is always another option so yeah yeah, that does mean like um there are a couple of i think there are a couple of times when like it was specifically useful although uh some of them are tied to quests so it's kind of spoilery to say yeah but um yeah, it's uh, mostly like it can be quite good for just turning into a mimic and rolling around to avoid enemies. Yeah, that's true. If you don't a want way to, have to of avoid some mimics, really. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, so yeah, and then it just goes on for a bit too long, I think. And there, there is never quite that narrative drive that it needs to pull you through. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, it's sort of like it's close to being in the sort of pantheon of great immersive sims, but it doesn't quite get there, in my opinion. Um, there's also, as Phil kind of pointed out in his review, there's no real good way to play it, to stealth play it. It's just, its systems are not set up to support that. It's basically set up to be survival horror human game or alien power strategy game. Like, yeah. it's not really, not, it's not, you can stealth bits of it, but it makes no sense really in the logic of the game. There were a struggle in like talking about it with uh, a lot of people, commenters specifically, um, was like, Oh, it's not meant to be a stealth game. Okay, well, there are stealth options in it. Like, so, you know, it kind of is meant to be a stealth game a bit. Like, Definitely. It's got stealth level ups. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or, like, oh, I mean, I criticized the combat a bit because I do think there are, like, there are big weaknesses there. Uh, and I was told, oh, well, it's not about combat. It's about, like, combat is meant to be, like, difficult and brutal and whatever. And it's like, I mean, it literally flashes up with a tutorial pop up saying, play however you want. So you can't really say, oh, well, it's not the game's fault if it doesn't do this system well, or if it doesn't do, or if you, you know, it doesn't do this system well. It's yeah. like it told me I could play these this game these ways, and then it kind of punishes you for it, right? Um, which just seems like, yeah, it seems like a bit of a failing. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Like it's, it's sort of, I think the balance of styles it has are good, but they're just not really, they're not, yeah, they, they stealth is not a, a thing that it does well. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's uh, I yeah I just came out of it feeling I I enjoyed it and there's there's certainly some narrative curveballs that are well worth playing through. Mm, uh, I definitely think before. it's worth playing. Like it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, a very distinct thing. Um, and the glue gun's one of the the great creations hmm. of like um, it's such a brilliant thing with so many practical uses. I did eventually. There's a, one character you encounter who's in like a human character still alive in this glass chamber, and you can read about what his. Uh, history is and he basically is like uh i think he's like a sex offender and like a human trafficker mm. and um near the end of the game i actually near i met him right closer to the start of the game but i came back to that area near the end and he was still alive and then a 
Phantom, one of the sort of like tall enemies, was chasing me. And then I finally glue gunned up the entrance. So the Phantom killed the guy. Uh, I never saw what happened to him, but um, they mentioned it in oh. a later part of the story. The, so that comes back, does it? Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a cool thing, that's for sure. Um, yeah, worth playing. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It has a has a few kind of weird problems, and uh, yeah, it just goes on for too long. Twenty six hours felt like about eight hours too much really for what i wanted to do in that game i still didn't do all the side quests yeah and a lot of the side quests seemed of like limited value as a well. a lot of them are very yeah, collection heavy or just like yeah fine fine little secrets or hidden things yeah and it's all and, and they're also dependent on how much you want to kind of read emails and stuff as opposed yep. to have having like that story presented to you by voice acting or whatever which i think is fine like there are ones that some of the quests will just tell you exactly where to go but there are a bunch that are just like uh, here's a thing that exists if you want to figure it out and i think that's cool but at the same time well at the same time i had to review it which meant i had to you know motor on through that's not that i bet that wasn't a fun game to review that's like that's (laughs) no it's only because like you you play a lot of it in a row yeah and it, it does you, I mean, it's already repetitive, so you already feel like you're just reliving the same stuff again and again. It's very interesting, isn't it? Like how, whether it, I, I mean, I can't even say whether that like affected my view of it or how I'd have thought about it if I'd played it over the course of like two weeks as opposed to a weekend, right? Or, yeah. You know, um, we'll never know. No, thanks to Bethesda's review policy. <laughs> well, I really, I did, um, I did, I mean, I did have the option to play it over a longer period of time. And I still mainlined it. So, That's true. Um, I largely think it's the representative of people's experiences. But uh, yeah, yeah, pray an interesting one. Definitely one, definitely worth playing. Just not, yeah, just not quite on that level of those other types of games. No, I don't think so. Quite. Uh, yeah. So okay, then the last thing we're going to talk about, Phil, is Anachronox. Yeah. Um, which uh, I must admit, I don't actually know that well. I didn't own it back in the day. I own it now. I've not played it. But um, how come you ended up playing it, and why? Okay, uh, played it for a couple of reasons. One, it's always sort of been on my. Uh, back quote-unquote black backlog um just as it's a game that often comes up in best of lists and not just our top 100 which is another reason to play it which i'll get into in a sec but also like if there's a best rpg list it inevitably will have anachronox on it there's a couple of games like that that always come up that's one uh arcs fatalis from arcane is another that i've not checked out yet um arcanum of i can't even remember what the name is it's a bunch of Weird words that has Steamworks, Arcanum, and some other stuff in oh, it. Oh yeah, another one. Yeah, you know yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll know the one I mean. I just can't remember <laughs> what order they're in, and I'm not even going to pretend to try. They won't be in the show notes because because yeah. <laughs> I haven't played it for and, one. And there are no show notes. So yeah, no, yeah. Um, so the second reason uh, is that we uh, recently said goodbye to our production editor, uh, Tony he's, Ellis. He's dead now. He's metaphorically dead. Yes, and literally dead. Not really. <laughs> he's uh, making his game, so he's basically gone into like he's having like a year out from work. So, yeah, uh, he's he's you know a lot a long term magazine readers will know who he is, of course. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was part of it, was it? Just... Uh, Tony was the one who always voted for Anachronox, and he always wanted to put him in there. And like Tony is very discerning about the games he likes. Like he doesn't love loads of games. That's true. But he likes a few games intensely. Is this the same Tony who once said that Metal Gear Solid Five basically ruined gaming for him because nothing else would be that good? Which I, I, I even I didn't think he'd like it that much. No, no. Was... He played it way more than I did in the end, like two hundred hours or something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he has ranked everything, which just feels like that's crazy. Hard work. That is crazy. Uh, 
yeah, he he doesn't do things by halves. He'd always play like he like he finished like Pillars of Eternity, Baldur's Gate, and Metal Gear, and like a few narrative games. That's more or less all he played all year. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So um, I figured like based on that recommendation it was worth playing and also because no one's going to vote for Anachronox now in the top 100 I should probably check it out to see if it's worth voting for in mm. the top 100 to keep that tradition alive so I, I mean I only really recall when I was reading about this back in the early noughties I remember reading that it had this combat system that was inspired by Japanese RPGs yeah. with this with this quite unusual setting do you want to talk about that yeah okay um, so yeah the combat system it's a th- you know, third-person uh, RPG adventure, a, a lot like, um, in terms of exploring the world, it feels a lot like something like Deus Ex or Dragon Age or whatever, where, you know, you're just running around this 3D environment. Um, there are, even within, like, that setup, uh, there are some little quirks, like when you stop, um, the mouse appears so you can mouse around the environment and click on things, but the mouse is a character within the game. Um, it's uh, this character called Fatima, who is uh, your character. Your character is a detective who works at... Um, this, he's sort of this deadbeat PI uh, who, I think, ex-police or something, ran a successful PI agency for a while, but his life has basically fallen apart, and his former secretary died through some accident and he spent an inordinate amount of money to bring her back as this in, in you know this digitized form and that's your mouse um the world itself uh, so anachronox is like this planet-sized um station a bit like citadel like i think um the, it's created by like a former this ancient race or whatever uh, is just technology you've found and humanity and other aliens have just decided to live on. Right. Um, and it has uh, these things called spikes all over it, which uh, let you travel huge distances through space. Um, like each spike leads to a different area and there are like there's this profession of spikers who are people who will explore new spikes and find out where they go to and you know it's considered highly dangerous because you don't know if you'll ever go back or Mm. anything like that so it's got all of this going on um and then what's for a while it was like okay well this sets up and it's got you know a few quirky elements like the mouse it's got a few some little comedy scenes and i wasn't really digging it too much i was just sort of playing it but not really having any feelings about it and then it started doing increasingly weird things mm. that you may just go oh okay that's interesting or well, that's like quite inventive or um i was talking to tony about it recently actually he was mentioning because um, one of the things you notice early on is the camera is just it's over the top in how it tries to set scenes and cinematics and stuff. It's just like it's panning and moving everywhere. It's like almost distractingly, so it will go upside down and it will go right. all over the place, just like, look how cool camera movement is. Yeah. And I was saying, yeah, it was basically one of the first games to like pioneer that sort of cinematic style, so right. it's really going for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember what it was exactly that, um, that really made me sort of set up and take notice of it, because it was quite early on. But uh, another example is, like, um, you're on a planet for a while and you have to escape it because it's about to blow up. And the planet blows up and you get stranded in space and they cut to, oh, you know, we've got enough food to last us about two weeks. Um, How hard 
you know, we'll be we'll be fine. And then it starts doing like a survival diary, like day one, and then just little vignettes of what they get up to across this two weeks as they're slowly driven mad and start to hate each other. Oh and wow! It's just completely played for laughs, <laughs> but it's just like this really like inventive little trick to kind of move the story along and yeah. just have some nice character moments. It, a lot of it's a lot less about plotting than it is about just these character dynamics. Um, and then, you know, it gets through that and you're on to the next place. The next place being uh, a planet called uh, Democritus, which is um, the sort of... It's actually this ring around a planet where a bunch of um, democracy-obsessed aliens live and they, they've just overthrown the rule of an evil tyrant. So they're like, democracy is definitely the best thing ever. Um, so every decision we make on everything, if they have elections every day to vote on everything that happens. Right. But they've also realized that a lot of the people on their planet are really stupid. Right. So they... It sounds familiar. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> um, so they uh, basically have this council. The council aren't above, they don't like, have any say. Um, because their vote is equal to everyone else's, but they leak what they're going to vote for ahead of time <laughs> so people can vote with them to feel smart. Right, okay. And that's kind of how they steer it. Anyway, that's beside the point. So that the idea is it's a democracy that isn't really... It's a democracy that is fudging it as much as possible. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, it's like a broad, <laughs> you know, broad satire on the concept of democracy. Yes. Lol. About as broad as it gets. Yes, really. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of beside the point, because once you're done with your adventure on that thing, and part of that involves saving them from cyber insects, who are never referred to again. It's just, like, one thing. But because the because they found it quite entertaining to watch you, and uh, because they're on now on the run from cyber insects, they activate... They're, they activate like a shrink ray that they've developed, shrink their entire planet down, and then follow you. They, they become a party member, that planet. Right. And it just follows you around. Uh, and later you go back to the planet after an adventure on a comic, a comic book-inspired spaceship, complete with like comic book frame paneling for, okay. to tell cutscenes. Um, you end up back on the surface of the planet, and you start talking to them, and they basically just like comment on your adventure as if it was a TV show and you know they critique the plotting and your characterization and stuff it's just like I'm, I was very happy with a lot of the just silly ideas that it threw out yeah yeah I mean I've, I, I had Tony had told me about the planet who is a party member mm -hmm. thing and I, I kind of uh, the novelty of that very interesting but it sounds like it has loads else going on you know what you never would have guessed that from the way it was marketed back in the days no 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 no. It's... it was sort of marketed like it was a deus ex or a thief like a, a just a this adventure with the slightly muddy looking cover art yeah you know? I, it also looks very deus ex-ish it's you know the, it's made by iron storm it was made like the year before deus ex i right, think and yeah. yeah so they're, they're clearly like a lot of similar styles i mean when i say it looks like deus ex it don't look great it's a pretty yeah especially looking back at it now it's the faces are alarmingly bad but right, yeah. you kind of get over that fairly quickly well no one wouldn't it was i was backed by a major publisher was it idos i guess yeah it was idos yeah yeah like that would never that kind of game would never ever in a million years get made by a publisher now you know except, no. maybe, except maybe like i don't know paradox or someone i don't know absolutely yeah. um, um i mean I, I enjoyed it uh like weirdly like prey it is probably you know six to eight hours too long yeah um and also some of the puzzles are very late 90s early 2000s but which i mean like it expects you to the 
I really like the idea of the comic book villain ship that you're on, mm. but the actual puzzle involved in navigating it is just incredibly annoying. I'll get a walkthrough then. Uh, yeah, I, I by, by the end I was basically playing it with the like a walkthrough up on the second monitor mm. because it wasn't so much the challenge of it I was enjoying anyway. It was like you know the characters. It story. was seeing like the cutscenes of the story and the characters and yeah, just what the batshit stuff they came up with for each new scenario. Wow, interesting. Hmm. Wow, okay, cool. I will I will check that out, actually. That's, yeah, uh, like, yeah. Um, GOG's got a summer sale on at the moment, so it's probably cheap as hell anyway. I own it. I already bought it. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was the same. <laughs> it was just sat in the, the library. <laughs> Yeah, but, I think I've got. I mean, like many people, I've got tons of games on, uh, uh, you know, from the past that I will never play again or I'll never play. So it's definitely one I've wanted to play for a while. So yes, for the same reasons, to uh, for, for Tony, I will play. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just be prepared for a lot of backtracking. You thought Prey's bad for backtracking? God, the biggest mistake an Aquinox makes is it puts your entire party in a room on a place called Sender Station. Um, so when you get to the point of the game where you can like travel between different places, you can't switch party members if you're on anywhere that isn't Sender Station. You've always got to go back to this one place. And there's no way to fast travel there. Oh, so shit. you've just got to walk a lot just to switch party members Does to do a thing. Has anyone modded that? No, it <laughs> doesn't be... look like it. Oh, um, I mean, a lot of the backtracking is designed to sort of uh, get characters like you know better weapons or better powers and a lot of it's kind of unnecessary anyway it's one of those where there are some sort of challenging side things but like the main boss is fairly simple so yeah okay you know you can just fudge a lot of it all right well uh that's an acronox which Mm. has been available for the last 15 years (laughs) um but you can uh, download that on gog or steam Uh, probably the gog version is a better bet because compatibility on windows 10 better yeah that's very true okay so moving on to our questions then phil yep um Oh, yeah. the second question first. Yes, I remember. Uh, <laughs> question for the pod. This is a long one from Kong Ming. Thank you for this. This is from our Discord channel. Question for the pod. Partly inspired by a tweet of Phil's. I think we've established on a previous pod that listening to music while playing games is a thing that people do sometimes. I was wondering whether that has led to you, you le- led you to associate certain music, whether it's artists or songs or whatever, with certain games. For example, when Ash's album Meltdown came out, that's where the tweet comes in, yes. um, I was playing a lot of RuneScape, and so now whenever I hear tracks on that album, I get very vivid flashbacks to fishing and mining and crafting myself some special black armor. Similarly, the I Fight Dragons album The Near Future came out just so I was sinking all of my time into Dragon Age Inquisition, and the two are now inextricably linked. Um, do you have any similar experiences? Music that makes you think of games, or perhaps vice versa? Um, I do have a few, actually, but yep. do you want to go first, Phil? So um, I was thinking about this, and like there are, I have a couple of weird connections like that, but they're not necessarily very strong music to game. Um, For instance, I spent a lot of time playing the MGS2 demo, uh, just rinsing that for stuff. And on the PS2 back in the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wasn't ever. I wasn't interested in the story at that point because I'd already seen the story portions of it, so I was just messing about with stuff, but also listening to Chris Morris's Blue Jam, his weird Radio 1 series of right. comedy skits and just, like, quite am- weird ambient music. Uh, so, f- yeah, I always have memories of those two together, which is a strange combination. But Yeah, it's a, it's a bit odd, but uh, I kind of get it at the same time. Uh, I do have examples of this, Um with uh, GTA's custom music option. I've done this a few times. Mm. This is a very strange example, but I sort of um, associate uh, 
GTA 4 a bit with this is so lame, so I apologize. Yes. It's the it's the Oh god, am I gonna say this? Yeah. Ah, you've it's, teased it too much now. It's probably lamer than uh Ash's Meltdown, which um, you know How did, dare you? Didn't that have Orpheus on it that yeah, one? It had Orpheus. Orpheus on is it. a banger, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So actually I don't have no I've nothing against the album. Free All Angels I thought was quite boring, but like um yeah. No, no, Meltdown is like front to back, just solid hits. Yeah, it's just good, good guitar pop. You don't really get that kind of music anymore. Mm. And it wasn't like Landfill Indie, it was more fun. Oh than no, that. no, no, no. Yeah. It was yeah, it was far more rocky and upbeat than yeah. Oh, I suppose I should just rip the blast off, shouldn't I? It's the album How It Ends by Devochka, which is quite, Wow, yes. Yeah. Well my ex used to listen to that all the time. And it was just uh by my computer when I was re-downloading GTA four in like twenty twelve, so I just drove around Liberty City while listening to that for a bit. So I get a bit of that. I get I get it a lot with licensed music, though. Like, there's certain licensed music that where the song is the game. Like, that's particularly happened with the music on MGS5. Yes, totally. And the music on, like, Eminence Front by The Who um, and San Andreas. That is that game to me now, if I hear. Yeah, most 80s songs remind me of Vice City, although a few now remind me of Metal Gear Solid instead. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like... At- and the beat goes on that song like that's um, oh, that gosh, is yeah. so Vice City that's yeah, so like yeah, is it Passion yeah, yeah. is it Passion 104 point something in G- Vice City yeah mm. so yeah that, that that happens a lot with music like that um, yeah I'm trying to give other examples I've definitely listened to podcasts while playing games I've listened to a lot of um, This American Life while playing GTA which seems really antithetical <laughs> Imagine, I, I imagine like um, Ira Glass did like an episode about the characters in GTA, where it's like, uh, "This is Trevor. He's a." <laughs> like, Ira Glass doesn't get annoyed by anything, but you can tell when he disapproves of something, and he'd be using that disapproving voice whenever he talks. Because he's about so Trevor. he's so politely liberal, but mm. yes, he would be. Yes, he would. Yeah, I, I just imagine that, and there would just be some funny music playing in the background. Where he's like, "Yeah, I killed a guy and left him on a beach or whatever," and then yeah, he'd be like, uh, "Yeah." And then you cut to um, an advert for Lagunitas Brewing, <laughs> yeah, IPA. <laughs> so I've listened to, yeah, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. Or, um, well, how about you, Phil? Any more examples? Of that? Um, uh, so I've got a few custom playlists that I tend to use with like racing games or things. Uh, so Forza, um, I can't remember. Actually, no, Forza Horizon Three. I wanted to set a custom playlist up, uh, actually within the game, but it uses um, Microsoft's Groove to integrate that stuff mm. which is such a bad system that it's actually kind of impossible i couldn't imagine ever using a microsoft program for music in the year 2017 it's really <laughs> difficult to get it to because it's meant to be like a cloud-based thing but um do you pay I, for it or uh there is a payment system because you've got a couple of weeks free and that like gives you the spotify type streaming right, stuff okay, yeah but um i was never gonna use that because it's like spotify exists guys um but it also lets you like upload your own music and play that. So I've just about got it to the stage where uh, it will play through the Hotline Miami 2 soundtrack. That soundtrack is fucking amazing, actually. Yeah, it's a really good soundtrack for driving games and stuff. I, um, I was about to, to mention that, that I, I used to play Rocket League while listening to that soundtrack, actually. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good match. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I've taken to yeah taking that soundtrack and putting it into games that are better than Hotline Miami 2. Yeah, yeah, which is it's a shame, but that soundtrack is the best thing about that game. For sure. Whereas in the first one, the game is as good as the soundtrack. Which so, is, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm, that's about it. I, had a, I once had a really strong memory that linked Feeder's uh, Echo Park <laughs> with a game that I now don't remember. 
Okay. Which is completely beside the point of question. Is like uh, somehow that broke that memory. I, have, I can't remember what it was. I actually um, this is a console example, but I guess it kind of counts because it's on. It was on PC as well. But I listened to the best of REM loads while playing a true crime oh streets of LA. Yeah. True Crime was on PC, I've no, but I heard the version on PC was quite shit. Um, I mean, the co- console version wasn't good, but, you know. Uh, yeah, I did have the album, and I listened to it incessantly. I had the album and listened to it incessantly. This, too, was pretty good. Yeah. There was all sorts of slightly weirder B-sides and album tracks. Nice. I think yeah. I might have only had the one-disc edition. Oh, I got a special edition. Uh, you were missing sense. out. I, I, I was, you know. But, hey, it had Electrolyte on it. That's all that matters. It did. Um, okay, should we ask the follow-up question then, Phil? Fucking R.E.M. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> R.E.M. are good. They're just—they're very inoffensive, but they're good. Yeah, I have other examples of this. That weirdly, I had that Devochka soundtrack just on like a desktop for years. So I just—I would just listen to that while playing games. Like it was, uh, yeah. I don't know. I I know it's—I know it's embarrassing music because it was on the Little Miss Sunshine soundtrack, (laughs) and I I know that is embarrassing. Fundamentally, yeah. I think you might be thinking too much about it. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, no one has cool music taste, really, do they? Um, to add to that, any TV shows inextricably linked to games. I got every achievement in Assassin's Creed Syndicate while watching House of Cards. I hear the House of Cards theme, and I can see my character jumping across ships on the Thames. So that's from Avagad. So I'm guessing he's referring to, like, or she is referring to, um, like, second screen entertainment, which we talked yeah. a bit about on the podcast before. So you watch The West Wing while playing. What were you playing? Was it Firefall? Uh, it was Firefall, Sam. <laughs> Sorry, which is not a thing I ever want to remember, really. So, <laughs> so I, mean, I haven't actually it. gone back to the West Wing since. Maybe that's ruined. I, I, um, there was one summer where I was playing um, Red Dead Redemption while I was watching the TV show Justified with Timothy Oliphant, where he basically plays like a cowboy in the modern day. Where he basically plays Bullock again, but this time it's modern. Yeah, but yeah. those things those things sync up quite well. So I do actually think of those two as a, as a kind of package. That's interesting. Um, and likewise, likewise, when I, uh, there's also the thing where you play a game of a similar subject matter, and that sends you down the rabbit hole of what all these things. Like, mm-hmm. so an example of this for me would be like after I um, L.A. Noir, after I played that, I end up watching L.A. Confidential again and again. Right, yeah. Watched the Black Dahlia. I watched. Um, I listened to, looked into all the kind of Manson murder stuff. Basically, became interested by all those kind of like L.A. California kind of like you know neo-noir sort of thing like mm-hmm. so that happens for sure so LA Confidential and LA Noir are of a piece really oh, deliberately sure. yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah how about you Phil any um no I don't think so I like because I joke about it with Firefall and certain MMOs um but generally speaking I don't put other stuff on while I'm playing games not like, if it's a good game not if it's a good game certainly um or unless it's a game that doesn't require loads of concentration so like I, I probably could watch something else while playing Rocket League casually for example you know mm. um I took to playing games while watching um WWE's entertainment product Raw <laughs> Monday Night Raw yeah uh, because that's like a two hour slog sometimes so it's nice to have some <laughs> other entertainment there but then I sort of thought I could just stop watching Raw <laughs> just catch up with the YouTube highlights that makes sense uh, and my life was solved <laughs> yeah so I uh, I don't I can't really think of any more examples of that at the top of my head mm. although playing Twin uh, watching the new series of Twin Peaks has made me want to play all of Deadly Premonition, which I never finished. I know I've never played Deadly Premonition. I'd be interested. I should, yeah, seek out some of the more weird Twin Peaks influences thing. I've not played Alan Wake either. Oh yeah, you should definitely play that one. I've had I had some problems getting um, 
Deadly Premonition to not crash on my PC as well because it's just it's a notoriously shit PC version. Right, yeah. Um, which is a real shame. Um, I don't know why that's the case because it looks worse than the 360 one, which makes no sense to to me anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, so are those uh, when the, that series came back, I did think I really I kind of missed the odd those oddball characters. I got about three chapters into it. And it's uh, it's definitely it's a thing to experience for sure okay. again that game is way too fucking long that's like 30 hours long or something what? it should only be about 10 hours really and it has an open world which it does not need but um yeah yeah it's uh that's those things are linked mm. but uh yeah interested to hear your examples you want to share any more of those i'm sure i have more i definitely used to have some music uh, original gta on pc i had some music custom soundtrack thing but it had an error where every time i got in a car it played a new track right so they didn't so much work like radio stations. Yeah. It's kind of just like a CD that played, you know. Uh, anyway, yeah. Cool. Okay. So, with Dirt 4 out this week, what are your fa- all-time favourite racing games? That's from John F. Uni. Um, uh, I guess I'm taking the brunt of this question, seeing as, no. as if you've already said. No, I have, I've played some racing games over the years. I'm just okay. trying to... Uh, but they most of them involve um, Mario. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, um, I see. I... Uh, I I don't know. I guess I'm not much of a simmy type player. Like mm. I do, I did like Need for Speed Most Wanted. That was a that was a cool game. That though I think that was the one that came out in 2012. That was really good. That was a Criterion one in an open world. Yeah. And um, Hot Pursuit, I enjoyed as well. That was uh, a very that was another Criterion, Criterion one, 2008. Yeah. It was very simple that one. It was quite stripped back, but had a really nice sort of like always online. Um, ranking thing which was quite ahead of its time i think at the time mm. uh those those games i've enjoyed um i like burnout paradise uh Classic, yeah. yeah so mostly kind of arcadey stuff i guess phil how about you, you mentioned uh most of them uh, involve mario uh, have you tried the i guess the the best the, the most well-known pc karting game would be sonic racing all-stars transform i have sonic played that all-stars racing transform i have played that it's very good yeah that's, i uh, that i've never really kart races are not my thing at all really but did um i don't know did that outrun 2 come to pc that version i'm not sure they did uh, there was definitely i'm sure there was an outrun on pc for a while but um most of them like seem to disappear uh, as soon as like with the rights things okay well, those yeah, those games are good, but like um, yeah, that that um, Sonic game was done by those the Outrun team, oh, right. Sumo okay. Digital, and that's why it's so good. Um, mm. Yeah, also like if you can sort of get over the fact that it's you know Sonic and it's that it's Sonic Extended Universe, which everyone feels the need to <laughs> apologise for. Well, I it's, think. it's the it's now the deepest dredges of deviant art. <laughs> um, yeah, and so yeah, that 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 game is cool. How about you? Any more film? Um, so, like, yeah, the Forza Horizon series has been, you know, probably among my race- favourite racing series for a long while because it's just so beautifully hits, like, that perfect mid-ground between, like, arcade and realism. Um, it just feels really nice to race around those tracks. And I think the skill system is probably, like, just a really clever piece of design um, based on, like, how it uh, escalates based on your kind of more reckless driving things but then i mean it's a very standard skill system to an extent but um done well within races as well to really kind of incentivize you to push as far as close to the limit of crashing as you can mm. um and get huge rewards for it which really it, and it makes driving between events a lot more fun right. which i think is where burnout paradise kind of fell down a bit was like i don't know if it ever fully justified its open world structure 
eh, maybe that's not fair. Uh, I did spend a long time in Burnout Paradise doing the multiplayer stuff where mm. you just had a big list of challenges. Um, I'd do that as a two-player thing. We'd just try and do like dumb jump, like synchronized jumps through fuselage bits or whatever. Right. That was all great. Um, but maybe in single player, it was a bit like you would just, the open world just seems an excuse to get you between various events with little else going on because mm. the crash mode wasn't amazing in Paradise. Yeah. I don't think. Um, so yeah, Forza was good. Weirdly, one I remember, um, Dirt 2 actually is another one. Um, I think probably even with Dirt 4 in the mix now, that is still my favourite kind of, just for the variety of different events. Had quite a nice rally thing because they hadn't, Cody's hadn't fully shed like the rally parts of Dirt like they would for Showdown and even 3 to an extent. Um, but it also had like the silly buggy stuff and that was just fun. Yeah. Um, the one I need to go back to is uh, Ridge Racer Unleashed, Unloaded. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unleaded. Was that the un- Unbound? Un- unbound. Was that it? Wow. Yeah, it was something like that. Maybe it was. Unvengeance. <laughs> I think it was Unbound. Underpants. Or Unbounded or something. It like might that. have been Unbounded. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, it was. Um, it looked like a dark, gritty reboot of Ridge Racer, which was weird in itself but then mm. like it had this really interesting drift system that just one it, it made almost no sense as a racing game until you'd mastered how drifting worked in it at which point it just felt like this really unique like very distinct tactical thing um it's hard to describe because i actually have forgotten a lot of the nuances of the system but i remember being like surprised by it at the time and kind of how interesting it felt okay i sort of one game i forgot to play at the time but i thought about recently when it was on steam was that game split second yes which i i think got like a pretty good response at the time it did i split second came out around the same time as blur yeah so this is a racing game where you can basically trigger lots of like set pc events in order to basically throw other races off so there was all these environmental hazards like a plane would crash into the track or like a boat would fall down while cars are in it and stuff like that and it, it seemed quite ambitious um and then sure. and then it made no money and the studio was closed but yeah I, yeah it's weird, like I, it's it's a shame like blur and split the second came out around the same time neither of them did particularly well and, no yeah it was and that's a shame um split second annoyed me a lot because it, the way it was set up it seems to be it didn't matter how well you did but it's rubber banding was such that it always made sure the last corner you were like in a real fight for first place yeah whatever happened and it just made the rest of the race feel completely inconsequential because it didn't matter what you do you were always set up to being oh, in like annoying. and that really ruined it for me yeah that's fair enough but it did you know a lot of people did love it i just thought that was bullshit yeah well i don't did, did blur ever come to pc i don't know um, probably not. Um, that had because um, that had licensed cars in it, back yeah. then, which I think cost them more money to. I might be wrong about that actually, but I think it costs. It would have cost them more money just to have the licenses, mm. and they didn't For need quite to do a it weird, really. like um, wipeout style racery, like where you've got you know weapon pads and yeah. boost pads, that kind of thing. It was really dumb that they came out so close together, yes. so dumb. And um, yeah, it's a shame because for a long time they were um, bizarre creations were alternating with. Uh, turn 10 on making Forza and Project Gotham games yeah 
if they'd still have been doing that, the studio would still exist, probably. Probably. And instead, they've obviously they they're gone. Project Gotham is no more, mm. and it probably would have come to PC. But hey ho, hindsight and all that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty, basically. It. I had one more to add though, which was um, Star Wars Episode One Racer. Of course, which was I think as close to that kind of wipeout e uh, hover racer thing as PCs had. Actually, maybe one of the wipeout games came to PC. Back I can't remember if one of the wipeouts did. Um... One that definitely did was uh, Roll Cage. I think Roll oh, Cage and Roll Cage Stage I 2. I played Roll Cage on PC. on PC, yeah. I fucking loved Roll Cage Stage 2. Roll Cage I, was great, yeah. Yeah, it was a really like a really in, fun, like, um, it, clearly doing the wipeout thing, but with chunky cars with big wheels mm. that um, could drive on ceilings and stuff, so it just felt really sticky and satisfying. So it's those cars that if you flip them over, they're the same car still, right? Yeah, still the yeah. same car, and they still just keep going forward. Yeah. Um, that was that was a cool game. I very much enjoyed that. Like it felt so fast at the time. And stage two had this like slightly aggravating puzzle mode type thing where you were on really thin tracks and you had to try and navigate your way around like these puzzle environments, mm. which was I remember being kind of fun. But that could have been because uh, I was a child with a lot of time on my hands, so yeah. I was prepared to deal with that bullshit. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully that answers the question. I think we were so we had a surprising uh, depth of answers there. Not it was surprising for me, but you feel obviously you played. Yeah, I mean, games uh, I they're, they're still most of them were still silly fun races. So it's, there, there are no uh, yeah Assetto courses in my back catalogue. That's fair enough. Uh, so this is a really easy one. Um, do you like the Windows Store or would you prefer to have Microsoft games over on Steam like Quantum Break? Definitely Steam, really. I mean, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? But yeah, it's um. Yeah, I sort of I liked how they. I don't mind them doing a kind of time delay thing where they eventually put them on Steam. It seems like they're dabbling. I think I think that's very much possible for something like Quantum Break. I don't see it the happening. online games maybe not so much. Yeah, for, for the online games def- for for the like networking reasons for one, but also I just don't see Microsoft spending resources to port one of their own games from um, UWP to Win32 and I don't think Steam will let UWP games on Steam. You say that but um, Halo Wars Definitive Edition just came out on Steam didn't it and that that was never out on PC originally. It was never out on PC originally but you've got to imagine there was I don't know I, I I wouldn't feel comfortable you know saying that either way really. Sure but um sure but anyway, it's, it's it'll be interesting. Like, it means it's not impossible, basically. If if Forza Horizon came on, that would be something. Um, yeah, that would yeah that would be ideal, basically, because I'm pretty sure it would give those games a much bigger audience anyway. Because I'm sure there are lots of people who don't or can't use the Windows Store, partially because it's trash. It's a trash store. It's sort of um, it's also like uh, you like Steam because there's the competitive market element to it. Keys can be sold elsewhere, and like. It seems like the prices are very steep on the Windows Store, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. Like, there's, there's no, there's no real um, impetus for them to like, yeah, have a sale or try and, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not, yeah, they're not competing against anyone except themselves. But I don't know, it just seems like it's such a bad market to try and buy the game. It's the sort of place where you know you can type in Tomb Raider or like it, um, the devs of Eurotruck shared a screenshot of uh, Eurotruck's not on the Windows Store it's not a UWP app but there are for sure bad clones and things that are on there and they're just called Eurotruck Simulator or whatever it's possible they've been removed now but it's like just one of those stores where people can get away with all sorts of shit and you've got to be careful when you're buying things to actually research that it is what you want and it's not someone just trying to take you for a ride and yeah that's just it's not what you want for a game store like 
No, could you still have to buy it through the Windows Marketplace, or can you buy it through like the Xbox app now? Uh, no, the Xbox app has no. You've got to go to the full Windows Store experience. I think, where... I, they, I think they do know that that's a problem, and yeah. they'll eventually fix it. But yeah, right now, it's as discoverability goes, it means that... Yeah, yeah I think it would definitely... It would definitely behoove them to have like some sort of section of the store, or like you say, the Xbox Marketplace or the Xbox app thing, where like it is just official first-party games and like trusted third parties, or may you know that that more curated thing that you know lets you buy stuff with a bit of confidence. It, you know, at a glance, know that you can trust various things to at least be what they say they are. Yeah, uh, yeah, we were pretty. I think we, uh, yeah, we're basically certain on that that we'd rather see more games on steam though yeah yeah for sure um or you know wherever yep gone uh, or yeah whatever like, just just some just somewhere else just somewhere like, that doesn't feel bad and cheap and tacky to browse like yeah like uh you know i mean we've obviously we've made jokes about origin and you play in the past don't know if you used this recently but they're both pretty good storefronts now mm, and origin like um, likewise you know humble gog there's so many great places to buy games game places that already do this mm. but the fact that they are only selling them through that that their own store makes no sense really um i get why they're doing it but they haven't really considered the consumer element as much yeah, as they should have yeah I, I guess they're in a, a position i don't know I mean, it's no it real, is tricky you know it's no real different to like you know you only buy valve games on steam it's the only place you're going to get portal 2 or whatever yeah that's true and it's, you're only going to get mass effect on origin right yeah but it's just the quality of the experience, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It, like Origin got a lot of flack, not just for being, you know, a play, the only place you could buy a Dragon Age or a Mass Effect, but because it was a bad experience for so long, like it was just a bad client and the online stuff didn't work properly. Yeah, it's um, now it's now so simple. It and is a lot better now. It yeah. lo- looks significantly nicer than Steam, I would say as well. I think people default. in general have got over having multiple clients because it it just happened. We all ended up with multiple clients and we just got over it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so last question then of the show. Uh, hey guys, do you think DLC is killing games? Too many pubs holding back content to release as DLC for more cash. It seems. Brackets EA. That's from a Mega Kill eighty seven, who then goes on to say that that's from all of Reddit. <laughs> It then goes on to say that The Witcher 3's DLC is an example of DLC done right, basically. Okay. Um, so I think that this was more of a problem about five or six years ago when you had things like Arkham City having that Catwoman stuff sold off as a separate thing if you bought it pre-owned. That was a console, mm. was a console thing. But that was kind of like the idea of it for me, like the old online pass idea. That was, yeah. That was quite crap. But um, it it seems like it's still a problem, just not as much as it was. What do you think, Phil? Um, I guess to answer the question directly, no, DLC isn't killing games. It's not going to kill games. No, definitely not. Uh, it's probably, if anything, sustained like the wild excess of the AAA industry for a long time. Because I know we're getting to a point where a lot of games seem to be underperforming based on the expectations. Um, Yeah. Tomb Raider being a notorious example. Tomb Raider being a notorious example. Um, And uh, I I imagine, like, having having DLC as a way to sort of extend the life of a game has probably helped delay the point where things are failing. 
maybe. I, I think another important thing is that like DLC is really good for games that have smaller, not blockbuster audiences, but passionate audiences like thing. Stellaris or um, you know Paradox's games. You know, yeah, the it's really interesting, isn't it? Like, if you remember the flack that Bethesda got around horse armor, yeah, which is still bought up as like the joke DLC pack, but like. Horse Armor One, like that was the that's become the model for a lot of oh, yeah. things. Is like, yeah, okay, we will offer you like these, you know, sort of. Uh, Crusader Kings Two has so many like um, avatar packs and yeah. music packs and things like that that are just like visual upgrades or like increase like they're not game essential, but they just make the product a little bit more varied and nicer people proudly talk about buying crates for overwatch with real money yeah uh just for new skins for their characters or whatever but like how is that different to horse summer mm. it's not different at all still it, paid 40 pounds arguably it's worse because <laughs> if you buy a crate with real money you don't know what you're getting out of that crate right if you bought horse armor you knew exactly which bits of horse armor you were getting yeah yeah uh, so that's a, think, that's an odd thing yeah. yeah crates are legit worse and like it's fine like because you don't have to buy it. No, that's true. Um, but I think like things like the song packs and the avatar packs for Crusader Kings 2 are good at letting people say, yeah, I'm getting hundreds of hours of value out of this game and I'm prepared to pay a little more than the £30 it cost me initially. Yeah, likewise, um, like Total Warhammer has added lo- a bunch of like different factions and units via DLC and like um, they, you know, it's basically their version of the old expansion mm. system uh, where you just get another disc for like 20 quid uh, and that makes sense because you know Total War will always have a dedicated hardcore audience mm. and never really be a 7 million seller or whatever yeah for sure and so yeah I kind of I kind of get that the important thing is that the base experience is still interesting That's and, like, and but, c- complete you know as long as the base experience feels like a complete package and that the things that are being sold feel like additions to it then yeah there's really not a lot of problem to it um, like I've got a, more of a problem with pre-order DLC bits because they often don't feel like they were an intended part of the game experience they feel like basically cheat codes in disguise that were created just to, for marketing yeah like oh get an extra 10,000 credits towards buying things in an RPG that has probably been carefully tailored so that the resource economy provides a specific experience yeah and it's like okay well that's a bit weird um yeah it's uh yeah yeah I pray had that um I don't know. I don't exactly know what the pre-order thing was, but oh, I, then you get like a shotgun. You get the shotgun skin. early, or a shotgun skin, or something. yeah, it's sort of like this ornate kind of gold design. I to think it. you get like a handful of extra neuro mods or whatever, and it's like yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's just weird. Yeah, yeah. I sort of I do like it when they um, they sell like the last game as a pre-order incentive or whatever. Yeah, that's absolutely fine, isn't it? Because like, that is like a bonus for. Like South Park Stick of Truth, for example, coming with um, the new one, mm. the butthole one, whatever that's called. I've decided to call the it that. Butthole one. I pretty, I pretty that. Yeah, South Park the butthole one. I think that's it's what it's called. The fractured butthole. Oh yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of. Yep. So children, I, I've made my piece of DLC. There's some I'll pay I, for and some I won't. Yeah, like, um, I just, 
like you basically um you can sort of tell from the outside looking in like the the thing the sort of thing i'll spend money on for a dlc would be like um dragon age inquisition for example me and you phil mm. i think we both bought the two good dlc packs yes and then we didn't buy the one that was set in the deep roads because we knew that wouldn't be good yes uh, yeah no indeed um i'll probably buy the deep roads one at some point but we still haven't done it damn law in it but yeah <laughs> we still haven't done it you no know? um yeah and so um yeah so I'm, I'm quite discerning but i tend to buy more single player stuff and uh yeah i know star wars battlefront was one that people were quite upset about with the dlc um and fair enough because the base game was so light on content generally yeah that's fair like it's slightly different for multiplayer games because you'd threaten to do a titanfall one and split your community and you know unless you're going to have a huge community to begin with that's going to be a big problem yeah um Hmm. but in terms of single player stuff yeah i mean just just be discerning about what you buy um yeah, the market decides these things to an extent. Like, if people aren't buying a certain type of DLC, then it's not worth the, you know, developer making it. Then, hence, loot boxes are in everything. Hence, loot boxes are in. Everything. I think they're a much worse problem than DLC. Oh, they're rubbish. I, think, it I mean, is a very exploitative system. They're in. Um, I mean, when they were added to Rocket League, I was like, why? You get so many car decals. What are you? What are you doing with mm. with loot boxes in? Uh, Rocket League, and it's a big part of why people play in some cases now. And it's like, just here for the car football, mate. Who cares? I didn't really understand the system either. I was just like, this is just crap. Who cares? Just a bad system. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like the The Witcher has, you know, for for something like The Witcher Three, they are expansions, almost like in the old style box type package that adds tens of hours to the adventure and that's great like that's a really nice thing when it does come along yeah something that can proper you know a game that you love having a really carefully made like 10 to 20 hour expansion yeah is brilliant but um a lot of expansions were shite too back in the day it's not like we i always have a problem with something that holds the past up as significantly better than now yeah yeah and like i mean expansions were a good idea but sometimes they were just bad yeah, or bad value, mm. like you know, in the same way DLC is now. I mean, obviously you had your mysteries of the Sith and your Red Alert expansions or whatever. Command and Conquer expansions are traditionally pretty good. Um, yeah, some decent campaign ideas for them usually for yeah. the third faction or something. Yeah. Likewise, uh, the Age of series by Ensemble had some uh, very good expansions as well, mm. um, and they're still releasing them weirdly for those uh, new editions on PC. But yeah, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of junk as well. Yep. Mm. Okay. It's like. Um, Sometimes you hear people complain like, "Oh, back in the day, games didn't have like day one patches," and that's because back in the day, people would release a game broken, and there was nothing you could do about it, and it was just a bad game forever that people yeah. didn't buy. And it's like, well, remember how bad the expansions for Fear were? They were rubbish. Oh god, yeah, like Perseus Mandate. Yeah, what a weird an extraction name. point as well. Mm. Like there were, and not, I don't think any of them were made by Monolith. No. Um... I'm sure a lot of them had like people who went on to make Bioshocks and other like good games. Right. Uh, I think Steve Gaynor got his start doing a Fear expansion. I think you're right, actually. Yeah. 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 But um, but yeah, they were just grey corridors for a long time. Yeah, and like it was, I think it was after Monolith and Vivendi broke up, and, right, and yeah. they went off to make their own thing, and then it all merged, and it was weird. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's definitely some sugar coating of that stuff. Yeah, but um, no, it's alright. I think it's in a reasonably good place. So if if and if people hate it, they tend to call it out. But yeah, loot boxes is not a thing that people really call out, despite them being rubbish. 
Yeah, I think the people who get really into that. The loot boxes are one of those ones where if you're not the sort of person to buy loot boxes, you don't think about them. Yeah, that's which is fair enough, you know. Because yeah. it's I mean, there if you want it. It's like if you know, for something like Overwatch, the loot box is a nice treat you get when you level up, as opposed to a thing that you can spend fifty pounds on for a specific skin. Yes, yeah, that um, makes sense. It's you know, all things to all people. Indeed, it's both inert and financially ruinous. <laughs> Okay, well, that is uh, on that dour note. That is the end of the podcast. <laughs> and we'll be back next week with talk about some things. What, E3? We'll, we'll do an E3 podcast, probably. Fuck, it's E3 next week, Sam. Shit. It is. I wonder if we should do one on Friday when I land and I can just talk about the games. I mean, I'll be very tired, though, but we could do it. That could be fun, a jet lag podcast. I've done one of those before and I, I sound like I lost my mind. <laughs> so it could be entertaining for that reason. <laughs> Might need some heavy editing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing, I'm, I, I, I've looked at my schedule and I'm playing about 15 to 20 like new games next week so that's, that's good yeah it's gonna be a good gonna be oh, a good e3 i think skip this podcast listen to next week's <laughs> this is the in-between podcast <laughs> anachronox that's so old come on yeah I, I don't know what all of the unannounced games are but i uh, i know a few and they're uh yeah it's gonna be i think it's gonna be like uh, at least uh, an eight out of ten e3 and last year was probably a seven so yeah yeah it's you, you've got that to look forward to <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for this eight out of ten E three. So if you want to contact us, um we're going to outline a few contact options here because of uh, a few recent things, um changes behind the scenes. So you can email us questions at letters at pcgamer.com that's our um our send uh, e- email for the magazine although we don't get many letters yeah haven't actually, that, for years now that's not our send email for the magazine oh isn't it <laughs> no it can become it i just uh i oh, thought it's... i thought letters at pcgamer.com would be a much easier thing to remember in an audio format than the other address well which pcgamer has... at futurenet.com yeah yes which is enough. a stupid email address <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so um those essentially. Oh, uh, importantly, if you do send an email to letters at pcgamer.com, uh, do mark it as podcast in the subject line because then it will go into my podcast folder and not be lost among the press releases and lunatics. Yes, we very much uh, uh, like you to send us uh, your kind of thoughts on the podcast and your questions mm. and we'll read them out. And then you can also tweet us questions at pcgamerpod. Um, you can also other things to plug we have a pc gamer club now which you can join on our website um and uh, that includes a digital version of the magazine amongst other goodies you can check that out at pcgamer.com we have a magazine out now with total war hammer 2 on the cover and it comes with free dlc for the first game which uh, is the grim in the grave dlc which gives you new units and heroes and stuff so that's cool um yes. other stuff phil do we do anything else now that's it isn't it I think that's it. Yeah, okay, cool. I sort of tuned out there. Um. No, that's fine. Um, We'll be back uh, next week or sometime in the near future.